Welcome to the Food Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Luke Berry continues our collection of talks, This Is Vu, in this message, Maker's Mark, sharing how we can make a difference through serving others. Let's lean into the message together. This environment, being in Voo Church, being in this community, has helped me so much, has helped shape my family and our values and our home. Really, the values of this house are, are our values. We we consider them to be ours. And that's what we've been talking about for the past uh, four weeks. This is week five of our collection. We're calling it This Is Vu, AKA This Is Us. And we're just talking about the core values of Vu Church. We have seven values. They're on our website. You, you see them, they're all over. They're on all these little slides and things. They pop up a lot. And we talk about them a whole lot. Every team rally we gather, every huddle we have, uh, every time we have an opportunity to give, we're reminding ourselves what we value and what's important to us. And over the past few weeks, we've covered our first four values. Jesus is our message. People are our heart. Generosity is our privilege. Excellence is our spirit. And today I wanna talk to you for a few minutes about our fifth value, servant leadership is our identity. Servant leadership is our identity. And at the risk of losing you like immediately, um, I call this message Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark. Just trust me, okay? Go with it. Um, You know that how you refer to something uh, affects the way you perceive that thing. So the the way that we talk about things, the way that we talk about things affects our perception of those things, the names we give them, the titles we give them, um, the labels we, we place on them. It shapes the way that we see them, the way that we approach them. For example... We have lots of different ways of referring to God. We, we have lots of different names and monikers and phrases associated with that big, broad concept. Of course, the most straightforward is just God. Um, but I think sometimes the challenge with words like that, words like God or love, things that are so big and so general, is uh, they can become vague. Or we can like say the same word but not really mean the same thing. And so I love that we have, we have lots of different ways of referring to God and these different names of God, uh, they focus on a different facet of his nature. Uh, for example, we know that Jesus, he, he referred to God as Father. And so that presents God in a very specific way and it shapes the way that we approach him and think about him. It, it, it speaks volumes about the relationship of Jesus with God. It, his father, the way that we relate to him and the way that he sees us and the way that he loves us. It's, it's an analogy, the love of a father. We even see in, in scripture that Jesus, he uses this word Abba, which means like daddy. Any, any daddy God people? No one? We got two people at least lying here. There, there's some daddy God people in the room. Um, it, it's all good. You know, you do you, whatever, whatever you want to call God. We call him father. We call him daddy God. Um, are there any like name of God people like Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, you know, that, that's fun. I, I, growing up, I, I always felt weird about calling God Lord for some reason. It, it felt like too formal, you know, like I just love the Lord. When I was 12, I just couldn't say that, you know, I have changed. I've matured. I call God Lord now because he is the Lord. So I don't really care if I'm comfortable with it or not, but, um, Listen, you got your favorite, okay? You, you, we get it. But my favorite, probably, probably my favorite way of referring to God is, is maker. And you say, Luke, 
we've never heard you refer to God this way in the history of our church. Well, the secret's out, okay? I've been catering to you and saying what I think you want me to say, but no more. God is his maker. That's who he is. And the, the reason I love this, this phrase or this name for God is because there's something like primal about it. It's like, it kind of like strips away any like sense of religious formality or, or even like time in history. Like it, it just leaves us with this ancient concept that could have come from like any culture, any civilization, any people, even any religion. Like this idea of a maker, like the, the, the creator of everything. And I like referring to God this way because it reminds me of a specific facet of his nature and his role in our lives. God is our creator. He is the one who, who made us. And today we're talking about our value servant leadership as our identity, but I didn't want to start with servanthood or with leadership. Instead, I wanted to start with identity. Because we live in a culture right now, we live in a time and an age that perhaps holds as the highest value self-definition. No one else can tell me who I am. I get to choose whoever I want to be, right? This is the narrative of our time. And honestly, I, I think part of being a person is choosing what you want to believe about life. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But I, I just want to offer a counterpoint to that prevailing cultural narrative that I can just be whoever I want and do whatever I want. Uh, in the Christian view of things, we are not uh, independent, self-sufficient, self-made, authoritative beings who can do whatever we want and uh, decide what everything means to us. Instead, we are creatures in the created order of God. We, we were created, and so only our creator can tell us who we are. Only our, our, our maker can define us. I, I said it this way. Only the maker can mark what has been made. Only the maker can label his creation. Only God can give you and reveal to you your identity in him. Only God can tell you who you are in him. And I wrote it down this way this week. When you become a Christian, you forfeit the right to self-define. You forfeit that right to self-define. You go, well, you know what? I just feel like I've been thinking about and exploring, and I feel like this is who I am. Listen, I respect your thoughts and your feelings. I got thoughts and feelings too, okay? And those things, they matter. They're legitimate. They're real. However, when we become Christians, what we do is we submit our understanding, our perspective, and our vision of ourselves and of reality to our creator, to the one who made us. We, we submit to his authority, and we go to him and we ask him, God, I'm not going to tell you who I am. I'm going to ask you to reveal to me my identity. Only the maker can mark what's been made. Only the creator can define his creation. Only God can reveal your identity to you. And so the question is, what does God have to say about our identity? Well, he's got a lot to say, but today we're just honing in and focusing on, on this one facet of who we are in Christ, and that is we are servant leaders. Servant leadership is our identity. And I want to take you to two passages of scripture, a story where Jesus teaches his disciples about servant leadership, and then a story where he really models what it looks like in life. So 
Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he introduces this radical new concept of servant leadership. He redefines what it looks like to lead people. And now you and I, we're, we're reading this story that we're about to get into from a Western lens, right? You and I, we live in the West. The West is what people used to call Christendom, which means that our perspectives and our values have been shaped by a Christian vision of reality. It's G.K. Chesterton who said the only thing left is Christian heresy. And what he means is even the, even the criticisms of Christianity are coming from a Christian point of view, meaning like, oh, Christianity, I don't like that because it's unloving and it's unkind and it's not good. Well, where do you get all those ideas from? So Jesus what I'm saying is, if we're in the West, if we've been, we've been shaped by Christian vision and values, if this sounds strange to us, we can, we can hardly begin to imagine how strange it sounded to the first century followers of Jesus that are listening to him teaching. He introduces this radical new concept of what it means to be a leader. And I want to take you to the story in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, um, Jesus has two of his disciples come to him, but they're not alone. They come to him with their mom. It's kind of a, a fun setup for a story. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. So we see uh, the sons of Zebedee. We know that in scripture, this is James and John. Now, James and John, along with Peter, are part of the inner circle of Jesus's closest friends. So we know Jesus has 12 close disciples. We call them the apostles. And he's close with those 12, but out of those 12, he singles out these three. He takes them up with him on the mountain of transfiguration. They get to see his glory, who he really is. And then he takes them into the inner garden of Gethsemane as he's getting ready to be crucified. These men get to know Jesus more intimately and more closely than anyone else on earth. Jesus, he called them the sons of thunder, and based on this story, I can't help but wonder if, like, he's talking about their mom. You know, like, their, their mom brings the boys, and she's like, we're going to Jesus. We're going to ask him for something. I'm like, mom, have you ever had mom, your mom, like, take you, like, go to your teacher or something? It's like, mom, come on. Um, she brings James and John. These are young guys, okay. And she asks a favor. What is it you want, Jesus asks. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right, and the other at your left in your kingdom. So James and John's mom comes to Jesus with a very specific request. She says, Jesus, listen, I know that you're a king and that you're coming into a kingdom. And I know that as you step into that authority and into that power, you're gonna have some people on your right and your left. And I'm asking you that you would let my sons, James and John, one of them sit in your right, one of them sit in your left when you come into your kingdom. She's revealing her perspective of leadership. She's revealing the fact that she's going, I want my sons to be important. I want my sons to be powerful. I want my sons to have positions within your kingdom. And I do not falter for it because this is a totally logical, reasonable, rational, human view of leadership. This is how we understand it. And in reality, this is God's kingdom. Jesus is a king and he will sit on a throne and he's gonna explain it in a second. But Jesus He's going to take an opportunity here to reshape the way that his disciples are thinking about their leadership because he knows he's not going to be with them forever. And 
when he goes, he doesn't want them fighting and arguing about who's more important than the other, right? So he's taking this opportunity to teach. Look what he says. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? He's talking about the wrath of God and the suffering he's going to endure. We can, they answered. Well, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. You will suffer for the gospel, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. The 10 were mad because James and John got there first. I wanted to sit on the right and the left. So now here Jesus sees this opportunity. And so what he does is he calls them all together and he decides to teach them a new perspective on leadership. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, listen, you know what worldly leadership looks like. You see it every day. They live in the Roman world. They know how this works. You know that the the Gentile, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They use their power to oppress people. They use their power to take advantage of people. They use their power. um, They they assert and exercise their authority to let people know how important and how powerful and how meaningful they are. Not so with you. Jesus says, listen, if you're going to be a leader in my kingdom, in the kingdom of God, you are going to need to learn to be a servant. Whoever wants to be a leader, whoever wants to be great among you is gonna be a servant. And whoever wants to be first needs to be a slave. Jesus is presenting this radical new picture of leadership and his definition of leadership is service. It's servanthood. If servant leadership sounds like a paradox to you, it is. These things don't normally go together, but Jesus, he redefines what it means to lead people. He, he doesn't not uh, believe in positional authority. Jesus has all authority under him. Jesus is our king. He just doesn't use that power and authority to oppress people or to control people. Instead, he uses it to serve people. He said, even the son of man didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He came to serve. When I've been here on earth, like what have I been doing? Have I been asking you to serve me? Jesus, he, he shows up and he gives and he heals and he teaches and he encourages and he comforts and he loves. This whole time in his earthly ministry, all Jesus is doing is serving people. He is the leader. He is important. But this is what he chooses to do with his leadership. Listen, like whenever you hear about bizarre like leadership behavior in a church, that's an abuse and an anomaly. It's not how it's supposed to be, but we need to be careful how we interpret this stuff because we might find ourselves thinking, man, church is, church is corrupt, man. Church is messed up. And the reality is, no, people are flawed and broken and sinful, and we do things we should not do. We don't live up to Jesus' vision of what it means to be a leader. We don't always do the right thing, but this has always been how Jesus has defined leadership for his church. It's servant leadership. If you want to be great, you serve. Notice that Jesus, he doesn't criticize them for their desire to be great. He just redefines greatness. He reframes their vision. 
He reshapes their perspective. He goes, I'm gonna teach you a higher way. I needed that, thank you. All right, at VU, we've got a bunch of different ways that we, we say this, and we try to make it memorable, and we try to drive it home, and so we got a lot of phrases. If you've been around any amount of time, you've probably heard some of these. I'm gonna give you three quick phrases, things we say at VU Church about servant leadership. You ready? We say, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. And what we really mean is, if you think you're too big to serve, you're mistaken. <laughs> Because Jesus, he said, no one's too big to serve. No one's too important to serve. In fact, the more important you want to be, the more you're going to take on the identity of a servant. The more you're going to serve other people. You're not too big to serve. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve. Even Jesus himself took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He made himself nothing, took on the the posture of a slave. We're going to see more of that in our next story. So if you're, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Next, we say that if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. What that means is like if you still see serving as like a small thing or an insignificant thing or an elementary thing, like, okay, I got serving, what's next? We don't graduate from serving. If serving's beneath you, leadership is still beyond you. Because until we get the perspective, man, actually, when I'm serving, I'm leading. And when I want to lead, all I got to do is serve. It's the same. These things go hand in hand. They can't be separated. We say it this way. The greatest leadership is service to others. This is the pathway to greatness as Jesus defined it. You want to be great? Great. Serve. This is the path that Jesus put in front of us as followers of Christ. This is part of our identity in him. This is the way to be great. Two weeks before he was killed, this is what Martin Luther King Jr. said about it. Drafting off of Jesus. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. By giving that definition of greatness, it means everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. He's really like driving it home here. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. Come on, that's pretty good. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Jesus said, you know how they do it? Not so with you. That is not how you're going to lead in my kingdom and in my church. Jesus, he showed us a better way. Serving leadership, it, it's, it's your identity. Jesus, he, he's given some good teaching, but really we know that Jesus didn't just teach it, he lived it. He modeled this identity and this behavior for us. He showed us how to be servant leaders. And I want to turn your attention to a story that is probably the greatest picture for you and I that we can emulate as we um, strive and as we attempt to lead lives of service, to be servant leaders. And it's found in John chapter 13. 
really famous story is the last meal that Jesus has with his close friends. Again, he's with the 12. They're at a table. They're having a meal. It's the Passover. John 13, verse 1. It's just before the Passover festival. Jesus, it says, he knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. John says, Jesus, knowing that all power, all things, all authority had been given to him, all things were under his power, knowing that he'd come from God and he was returning to his father, Jesus got up, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, filled a basin with water, and got on his knees, and he humbled himself and he served. We see this radical picture of servant leadership. Jesus, he, he takes on the form of a servant. In, in the Roman world, at this time, feet washing was a common practice. It happened daily because of the way their streets were. They would constantly get their feet dirty. And it was one of the lowest forms of work that a slave could perform, usually performed by a female slave, meaning you're never gonna find a prominent person or a successful person or an important person, certainly not a ruler or a king, washing someone's feet. In fact, we have this telling little story from Roman history. The emperor Caligula, who you may have heard of, Caligula, in order to assert his authority over his senators, he forced the elders of the Senate to wash his feet, to let them know just how important, just how powerful, just how significant he was, and just how weak and insignificant and subordinate they were. This is exactly what we would expect of a worldly human leader, asserting their authority, putting people in their place, letting them know, hey, listen, I'm in charge. How different is the picture that we get from Jesus. What a contrast Jesus provides, knowing he's, he's not insecure, he's not confused, he's not lacking in any confidence, fully aware of who he is, of his authority, the fact that he came from God and he was about to go back to God. He decided, okay, in light of all of this, in the context of that frame of mind, knowing everything is under him, he got up, he got on his knees, and he served. This is the picture of servant leadership that you and I need to have in our minds when we're looking at the people around us. Listen, we got a lot of good phrases at Voo Church about servant leadership, but there's no better lesson than this object lesson right here. This illustrated sermon, the creator of everything, the maker of all people, kneeling in the dirt to wash the filthy feet of the people that he made. The creator kneeling to wash the feet of the men that would betray him and abandon him that very night. 
This is our leader. This is Jesus, a perfect example of servant leadership. And if you're a leader, which we all are to varying degrees in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church, on your team, in as much as you find yourself in a position of leadership, this is how you're to conduct yourself. This is how I am to conduct myself as a leader in my home and in our church, serving leadership as my identity. This is what I put on. I don't tell God who I want to be. I ask God who he created me to be. I don't always live up to it. I don't always do it right, but I'm growing into this new identity, serving leadership. Now, I want you to see how the story continues because uh, it, it takes an interesting turn here. It says that as Jesus came to Simon Peter, if you know anything about Peter, you know it's going to be entertaining. He says to them, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter's about to be the leader of the church. He's teaching him how to lead. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. He's about to redefine putting your foot in your mouth as he usually does. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He goes, okay, in that case, then, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Just Peter the extremist. <laughs> you know, like, dude, you just said you will never wash me, and now you're asking for more. Jesus said, listen, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean. And you are clean though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not every one of them was clean. Okay, so kind of a weird exchange here. And I wanted to talk about it for two reasons. Firstly, it's in there. So we kind of got to make sense of it, you know? But secondly, I think this provides us with a very healthy understanding and perspective on our role as leaders. So Jesus comes to Peter and Peter says, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, uh, yeah, you don't understand, but you're going to understand. And he goes, no, you're never going to wash my feet. And he's like, well, unless I wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And he goes, okay, then wash my whole body, my head, my hands also. And Jesus said, no, you're clean. You're clean. And I had a hard time kind of articulating this. Let me try to do my best to explain what I'm getting at here. I think we could potentially misinterpret this story as a picture of salvation, like Jesus washing the disciples' feet represents him cleansing them of their sin. But I don't think that's what's going on because the work of salvation is the work of Jesus alone. Like only he can be the savior of the world. But I think in this act, Jesus is not demonstrating saving, he's demonstrating serving because he's giving us an example that you and I can emulate. So I, I wrote it down this way. No one can save, but everyone can serve. So Jesus is not saying, be like me, the Savior. I don't know if you ever felt intimidated when it's like, Jesus is our example. It's like, I can't do all that stuff, you know? Like, I, I think we need to understand in what way we're called to imitate Jesus. We're not called to be the Savior. We're not called to save people. Listen, we can't save people. We can serve people. We can't heal people. We can serve people. We can't fix people or change people or or change their mindsets or heal their hearts or their trauma or their brokenness. We can't do any of those things, but we can serve. Listen, I cannot wash your head or your hands in the language of the story. I can just wash your feet. 
And what I mean is like, I can't change your mind and I can't heal your heart and I can't forgive your sins, but I can wash your feet. And I wonder, I, I think we get really messed up the moment we pick up a Messiah complex. Like I'm here to save the world. No, you're not. You're not. We need to understand our role. We are not saviors, we're servants. We are servant leaders and that is the role of the church. We're not here to save our city, we're here to serve our city. The church is not the savior of the world. You know, like the church is really valuable and important, but the head of the church is Jesus. Jesus is the savior and he's working through us to save people. I just wanted to clarify because I, I think the story, it's like, it's showing us that our role is not to cleanse people. It, it, it's just to serve people. It's to wash feet. And that's something you and I, we can do. No one can save. Everybody can serve. Everybody can serve. Let's see what Jesus has to say about what he's just done. He explains it to his disciples in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Everybody say his place. Jesus knew his place. Jesus did not belong at the feet of his disciples, but as an example to them, he took their place to show them how to serve. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. Will you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. He is fully aware of his authority and his power. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. What he's saying to his disciples is, if I'm not too good to wash your feet, you're not too good to wash one another's feet. Everybody knows that I'm important. I'm telling you, you're important. The other person, the person in front of you, the person around you, when I'm gone, listen, I'm still the leader. You guys are serving one another. That is how you lead. That's how you live. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Um, as I was preparing this message on Friday, I was in my kitchen. I had my laptop. I had my headphones in. I was drowning out the absolute chaos in my house. I have three children, five, three, and seven months old. And uh, my wife was trying to get some work done. She was on her laptop, and we heard uh, my son yelling from outside. And uh, he's like, Dad, help. And I looked at my wife, I'm like, and she's like, I'm like, so I, I took out my headphones. I'm like, I got to freaking deal with this. I'm trying to write a message on serving people. And um, I, I can't, I'm serious. So I go outside. My son has brought back uh, this demonic substance from school. It's called slime. Um, I told my wife, I, I've, I never want that to cross our threshold again because it is difficult to cast out. Um, I don't want to. So he's brought home this slime and it's like melted in the sun. It was in the Ziploc bag. And so he opened the bag and he's poured it all over himself, his clothes, his feet, our chair, our rug, outside, outside. And so I literally have to like get down on my hands and knees and I have to scrub this kid's feet of this freaking slime. And I, I thought like, listen, God, 
I know that people accuse you of being too subtle. Like, God, just talk to me, just give me a message. I'm like, dude, is this a little on the nose? You know, like, I get it. It's easier to preach on washing feet than it is to wash feet. Listen, how are we supposed to live our lives as followers of Jesus? You should do what was done for you. Now, now remember, I'm not saying you should save people and heal people and forgive people. Those things were all done for you. That's Jesus' work alone. I'm saying you should imitate your Savior in his service. You should do what was done for you. You've been loved, you should love. You've been forgiven, you should forgive. You've been served, you should serve. You gotta do what was done for you. And how quickly do we forget and lose sight of this vision that Jesus gave us for how we're supposed to live our lives? How, how easily do we get caught up in self-promotion and self-preservation and lose sight of service? We get caught up in these mindsets that are dominated by fear and pride. We pridefully try to prove that we're better than other people and we fearfully try to please people. And the reality is we're no better than anybody else. And no matter how much we do or how hard we try, you can never be enough for the people around you. What they need is so far beyond your ability to satisfy. But when we let go of these human perspectives, when we let go of these worldly mindsets and we take on a heavenly perspective, when we take on the mind of our maker, when we mimic him in his service, we're finally free to live the way that we're supposed to live. We're finally free to be who we're called to be. This is how I wrote it this week. When, when you no longer need to prove anything or please anyone, you're finally free to enjoy everything and serve everyone. This, this is the life that you and I can step into. We can be free from all that stuff. We don't have to prove anything to anybody. We don't need to please anybody. But as we're released from that pressure, we could go, you know what? Now I can just enjoy it. Now I can enjoy these relationships. Now I can serve my boss. Now I can serve my wife. Now I can serve my kids because I'm not caught up in this human, like, uh, rat race. What's that thing? You know, like, in the hamster wheel of, like, trying to be more important than everybody else. Like, I can just serve. I can serve. About 10 years ago, I got my first tattoo. Now, if you hate tattoos, I'm sorry. It's not a message on tattoos. You can direct all your complaints to adrian.molina at voochurch.com. Um, I say, listen, if, if you ever find yourself losing sight of this value, just remember the maker's marks. I, I got this tattoo on on. June 6th, 2012, Friday, June 6th, 2012. And I figured that out this weekend with my wife and it wasn't hard because it was the first good Friday after we got married. So we got married in July, 2011, quick Google search and it's June 6th, uh, 2012. It was a good Friday and the tattoo I got is, is super simple. You, you can't see it, but I think they're gonna put a picture up here. It's, it's a series of four symbols across an equal sign 
a heart and a period is what that is that messes people up. And I think the meaning is pretty clear. At least the meaning is clear on this side of history. Because before Jesus, the cross would hold no special significance. The cross wouldn't mean any, no one would want to tattoo it on their wrist or wear it around their neck. But after Jesus, this Roman torture device would take on a completely new meaning. And now the cross serves as the symbol of the greatest act of service in history. The cross serves as proof that there is a God who loves us. If you ever lose sight of service, just remember the maker's marks. earned in an act of service proof that God loves you if you ever lose sight of service just remember that not only did Jesus kneel in the dirt to wash your feet he hung on a cross to bear your sin, who rose from a grave to buy your salvation. And you don't have to do all that, but you can imitate your maker. You can take on this identity as a servant leader. We don't serve people because they deserve it. We don't serve people because they're, they're good enough. We serve because we've been served. We love because we've been loved. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. We know what love is because of Jesus. So we're not too big to serve. We're not too important to serve. We're not too significant to serve. In fact, the more important we want to be, the more we're going to take on this identity. Servant leadership, servant leadership. It's who we are in Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this morning, for this time together. I thank you for your word, God. Thank you for these stories that we've read. Thank you for the life of Jesus and how he stands as an example to us of how we are to live. Thank you, God, that we can look to you for our identity, that we don't have to get lost in the narratives of this world, the confusion, the brokenness of the people around us. God, we're all broken, but we can be healed in you. And we thank you, God. We come to you for our identity. We come to you for healing. We come to you for forgiveness, God. And we ask you that you would help us. Holy Spirit, strengthen us, empower us to take on this identity in Jesus, to be servant leaders, to serve people that are difficult to serve, to love people who are difficult to love, God to love and serve not just our friends and our family, God, but our enemies also. God, these things are not possible without you. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us today, this week as we go out into our workplaces and our homes and our schools, wherever we are, everywhere we go, everything we do, God. We don't just serve on Sunday. We don't just join a team and check it off. God, this is 
an identity that we take on every single day. Everywhere we go, everything we do, everyone we see, we will serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps on your faith journey. Go to rootchurch.com online. We love you.